0: Welcome to Off-Road Rewind. I am your host, Tim Norris. Being the first episode, let's discuss what listeners can expect in this and future episodes. Off-Road Rewind will touch on everything off-road from dirt bikes to ATVs to UTVs and ROVs. We will talk about racing, talk about riding. We will talk about local events to others taking place across the United States. Hair scrambles, cross country, flat track racing, and the mad dog class. It's all fun and we'll discuss it. Off-Road Rewind interview off road personalities and uncover the roots and history of our sport. We will cover what's going on today and possibly peek into the future. Off road rewind will do where to ride segments and do reviews of riding areas around the country. There's some good things out there and we'd love to get you exposed to them. We will cover safety issues and concerns and pass along tips and guidelines from the Motorcycle Safety Foundation, the ATV Safety Institute, and the Reckless Riding Schools and Safety Courses where riding Riders and drivers can go to improve their off-road skills. If listeners have an idea for future podcasts, send me a message at offroadrewind.com. We'd love to hear from you. Give us an idea and we will run with it. Our very first guest on Off-Road Rewind is a legend in Virginia's off-road motorcycling community, a founder and longtime leader of the Virginia Championship Hair Scramble Series. Founded in 1984, the Virginia Championship Hair Scramble Series, or VCHSS, is one of the largest and most popular hair scramble series in the country we will discuss its origin its early development its growth and popularity and get some candid views from a pioneer of off-road racing in virginia welcome george greer george give us some perspective of where we were in off-road racing in virginia in the late 70s and 80s as far as clubs and events do do this as sort of a lead-in to the how the initial meeting for the vchss um, was set up okay well the uh you know, from what I know and information that I've gathered, basically in the 60s and up until
1: the mid 70s, off road hair scramble events seemed to mostly to be organized by individuals in lieu of clubs. Uh, you know, for instance, you had uh, Donnie Lewis and Jim Wallney down at Craney Island in Portsmouth. You had Bruce Green in You had Fred Brown in Rural Retreat. And, um, and basically, you had an occasional hair scramble in the late 60s in the Bristol area. Um, you know, getting away from hair scrambles, we also had some pretty significant enduros. Uh, in fact, up until uh, I would say the early '80s, we had more enduros than what we did hair scrambles. So, Silver
0: Dollar Enduro, Rural Retreat, Lonesome Pine Enduro, Bristol Blue Ridge Enduro, Martinsville Chestnut
1: Mountain, and Penhook, uh, the National Fort D. P. Hill. Um, so, you know, it appears that off-road racing was alive and well, but uh, as far as a state level, it just wasn't organized. Uh, to where people would travel
0: from the east to the west or vice versa. Yeah I did I remember uh, Blue Ridge and uh, Bristol and some of those and certainly did some of those and those were uh, pretty neat events and it was it was good to have some things like that but it seemed like you had to travel a pretty good ways. There wasn't much in the central part of the state or the eastern part of the state. Yeah. All right, as far as lead uh, the initial meeting to set up the VCHSS, can you tell us who was at that meeting, obviously, what was discussed? And, and one of the things I thought of that I don't have an answer to, it's a fairly good question. What what were some of the initial thoughts and concerns of the participants at that meeting? Let me start out with this. The Tom Bartlett, who, you know, we all know, he was with Tucker Rocky distributed I mean, uh, actually Rocky distributed back then. Basically, two uh, years before we met in 84, he actually came up with the idea of, uh, of, hey, let's start a series. And for me personally, I didn't think it would work. I didn't see a way that we'd ever get everybody to stay together in one thing. But um, so uh, not just because of me, but it's, so it's, it was just a general conversation. So it kind of died. Then in early March of 84, we had a
1: guy named Rick Pino who came in uh, from Jersey, and he was running the East Coast Enduro events. Uh, moved into the area, and um, he basically had the idea of, hey, let's start a state series. So he called all of the clubs, all the promoters that he knew of, and um, and we had a meeting. Uh, we had the meeting in uh, a steak restaurant in Charlottesville, Virginia. Basically, there were five of us there. We had—and uh, and basically, the intent of the meeting was to basically— to organize a state series to where everybody ran by the same rules. We had the same class structure, and and basically the pole riders, to give them something organized to they could compete in. Um, Attending the meeting, Rick Pino, representing Tidewater Dirt Riders, uh, myself and Bobby Wilf for Peninsula Trail Riders, you, Tim Norse for the Central Virginia Trail Riders, and Fred Brown for Withfield Raceway. But uh, like I said, uh, originally I had reservations. If we could get all the tracks across the state uh, together for a state series. But uh, that meeting, that's, that's exactly what happened. And we walked away from that. We had, had a structured uh, set of basic rules. Uh, we had eight classes uh, from many to four stroke, and we had a Virginia championship series. Thinking back now, I'm kind of left in awe at how, how fast things happened, because that meeting was in March. Basically, by April, we our advertising material had been put together, posters had been sent to all the dealers in, in Virginia and surrounding states. And basically a month later, we had the first of eight Virginia Championship Air Scramble Series, with the first one being held in Dillon, Virginia, and promoted by the Central Virginia Trail Riders. So that's kind of how we kicked it off. At the first meeting, the the first officer positions were set uh, and their duties. Uh, Rick Pino was elected president. Uh, I was elected series coordinator, and, and UTM Norris was, uh, was elected as awards coordinator. That first year, I don't think a lot of people really realized what was going on. Uh, I think sponsors were hard. You get it at that point in time because they also didn't realize what we were trying to do here. And uh, so I would say things were a little bit slow. You know, we had our first banquet. We had 113 people attend. We had uh, gave away 60-something trophies. Just to put that into some sort of perspective is how the sport has grown. Uh, This past year, the VCHS Awards Banquet, we gave out that many trophies just for what we call the Horizon Riders, which are the kids 11 years and younger. That definitely, definitely changed.
0: They have. I I remember it was definitely... something in motion there that i think everybody got swept up in i as far as being uh an awards coordinator the first year i know i did a pretty poor job it, it was tough to sell a new idea sometimes but that certainly has changed over the years and it we started from humble beginnings very i mean you know- Jim, thinking back, and and again, it's something that I don't think
1: any of us thought of at the time, but, you know, when we walked away from that meeting that the five of us attended, uh, the thing that strikes me today is, um, you know, we started the advertising, and and back then that meant mailing because we didn't have computers and things. And and whatever else uh, monetarily that was needed to kick off the series and you know no one um, no one volunteered and no one was asked to, to chip in any money to get this thing kicked off the ground so
0: looking back on that it kind of surprises me a little bit the way that happened it'd be tough to do that uh recreate that today yes. for sure <laughs> it was, well you know and, you, and you're right it's just i don't want to say i don't want to say that there was more dedication because i think it was just a different dedication let's say you know just a, a different time i i can tell you that uh at the end of the first year you know, we gave out some trophies, and we had our for, first uh, uh, grand champion. And um, who, who was and the first grand champion in 84?
1: First grand champion in 84 was David White.
0: That's right. Uh, he he won for several years. I remember he now. Won,
1: yep, he won for three years. The first year, he had a uh, race-to-race battle with a guy named Gray Leonard, who was an ISDE rider. I remember so, that, him. That gray, Gray won the Central Virginia event that was our first event. He actually overhauled that event, but you know, uh, and back then we didn't keep points for the overall. We, we didn't keep a listing of overalls, just whoever overhauled that event. So whoever overhauled the most events won the grand championship. So David overhauled the most events and he won it for three years. Um, heck of a rider. Uh, every now and then we see him come back to an event
0: and he still is a dominating rider, whatever class he, he rides in, you know. I used to ride with him back in the early years. Uh, we'd practice and uh, I distinctly remember getting off the bike at any given time while I'm mumbling to myself that you can't do things like that and, and go in to see the line that he took and it's like well yeah i guess you can but yeah it's i still keep up with david phenomenal rider what were some of the other names and faces uh, and champions that you remember for say the first 10 years uh the first 10 years would include uh,
1: well david had uh, i'm going to work off number of championships. You know, David had three, and then we had uh, a guy named, uh, a rider named Brian Hess from Honeacre, western part of the state, that came in in um, 92 or three and won five of them in a row. Uh, so that was the new record. And then uh, once we got into the 2000s, then that record was topped. Uh, but in the early years, you know, you had, uh, you know, between David and Brian, those were basically the dominant riders in
0: the mid-80s to, to, to the uh, first 10 years and how many this is going past 94 obviously but how many championships did jason have uh
1: jason won seven uh so he set the record at seven there were seven uh, continuous years and that uh number was matched not in the
0: continuous years but still the seven number was matched by a rider uh, from the western part of the state named uh, Stephen Edmonds. so the record is,
1: is seven and that's where it stands down and uh, i guess the closest to that would be daniel morrison back in the Uh, Late 90s with three, you know, uh, as far as uh, what I'm going to call the most current riders. Uh, Of course, we have a whole slew of of younger riders that are coming up that uh, they've got some years in front of them and uh,
0: they may make eight, you know. All right. Let's talk about some of the conflicts and growing pains that we had in the first decade. The VCHSS, and that is not saying anything negative because any organization has them. What are some that you remember? And you're welcome to say that I was a pain in your ass. No, I'm not going to say that because then you're going to say I need I need to allow you to say that about me, and I don't want to no, do that. No, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Well, well, you know, it, you just hit the nail on the head. You know, we were a large organization, really. Uh, in
1: large bin, you had uh, a certain number of officers, and then you had each promoter was a was a board member. So you had a lot of people voting and, and talking. And, and like you said, any organization where there's a dozen or so driven or opinionated people are gathered, thoughts of how the series should be operated are varied, and, and and that continues to this day. Philosophical differences, if you will, in the beginning years, I guess it was such things as uh, which class would start first comes to mind. We had, uh, and I say we, you know, generally we as a group had uh, discussions about which class we thought should start because there was a uh, no set starting then at one time we used to draw for class starts. So uh, you know everything was an issue. Uh, then when we got to the designated ABC classes when we grew to that that uh, where we needed that, uh, that uh, also created let's say discussions on you know what uh, how we were going to break those down the creation of an advancement system led to some really good discussion you know what's the magic number for a guy to go from c to b to a to, to uh, double a uh, we had discussions in the uh, mid uh, 90s on adding a women's class uh, some people didn't think it would work others did and we now have seven women's classes in the in the bchss so uh, they are a rising class that was a now that's actually the rising class was the easy issue Somebody Else took that on, but uh, that was a big end of series. But yeah, we've always had had disagreements. You know, somebody wanted to see uh, paperwork that somebody
0: else had. Just uh, somebody wanted to be the first race of the season. Always that led to discussions. It'd be typical of any club. Success has many fathers. <laughs> Failure as an orphan. Yeah, it it was. Uh, everybody was passionate about everything, yeah. and everybody was protective. And uh, there, there's certainly nothing wrong with that. The dedication was there, and it was. You know, my oldest son, George, put me in perspective about uh, two or three months ago, having a typical,
1: just uh, a different thought from somebody. And he, he told me, he says, Dad, he says, you know, you're not wrong in your thinking. But neither is he. You guys are, 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 are just think of look at it differently. But neither one of you are wrong. You, you will get to the same point of, of what's best for the series. You just get there on a different path. And, and I thought about that a lot. And he's right. You know, Jesus, if I'd have thought about that years ago, maybe I'd have been a little bit easier to get along with. You know,
0: well, uh, it's um, but um, I was passionate. You know that. Oh, yeah, I was, too. Everybody was, you know, as you, as you get older, you realize that there are more paths to get to the same place. It was all good. It it was the start. I never thought that it would be unsuccessful. I'm not sure I ever expected it to be as successful as it was, but because of uh, you and some other people that were ungodly dedicated to the thing, it it did grow and uh, it is what it is today. the VXCS, I started that back in two thousand and two, and it was not feel like it was meant to compete with the VCHSS. Never wanted something that big. Wanted to include something that uh, you could run ATVs in. What? How was that viewed, honestly, at the time by the VCHSS? And what? And and more importantly, did it change anything? Did it change a mindset? Well, let me. You know, I want to answer that question, I'm going to add a little, little bit of a personal thought on the VXCS, okay?
1: Um, I mean, no secret opinions on the formation of the VXCS uh, were widely varied by the VCHSS organization. I think, you know, the creation of the VXCSS has happened with other series in the United States, was created because there were some differences of opinions and and maybe differences in desire of uh, how to form a control series and and the visions that, that, uh, you know, some of us, different visions that some of us had. You know, speaking of the VXCS again, you started it. Uh, I thought you had a good plan, and and I'm gonna repeat. You know, if you remember our first conversation uh, of it, I told you that if I were forming a series on my own, I would most likely do exactly what you were planning. You know, some CHS promoters were worried that two series in one state might be too much, but it wasn't, you know, what the VC, VXCS did is, uh, you know, on this behalf, they gave the four-wheelers a series to compete in, uh, which the VCHS had tried for one year and it failed, but you pulled it off. Uh, and it gave the two-wheeler racers who wanted to race more weekends or race in a series that was somewhat different than the VXCS, uh, VCHSS, another state series to compete in. Uh, you know, on a personal note, you know, one of the most fun events I ever attended with the, uh, was the VXC GPX event you held in Elizabeth City Motocross uh, Complex. Um, but I think both series stood on their own. I think they served a slightly different mindset of riders uh, relative to cost, awards uh, at the end of the season, and particularly the number of yearly races each series held. Um, from the VXCS standpoint, I think, in my mind, one of the best winning formulas of that was the uh, controlling the number of races. I think you were holding them to one a month. And for the average rider that for a living uh that made racing a whole lot easier I, I saw
0: never a fan of the number of races that we had in vchss and I kind of brought that over to the VXCS. Good points to it and bad points. But I think all in all, it was not something that I think it had actually enhanced both series. We, we didn't schedule on the same weekends. You know, yeah, some riders have to pick and choose, but I think uh, some competition is good. And, you know, I think everything worked out all night. I tell you one thing the VCHSS did that I never could do with the VXCS, the Horizon Rider in the VCHSS. That is a phenomenal. Uh, oh, it served as a pipeline to funnel VCHSS adult riders, you know, keep them in the system. And I'm not even sure that I know that much of the history of it. Could you give us a history lesson on the Horizon Riders? I can. I can. Our first hor- Now, we had. Some
1: promoters would have what they call peewee races, you know, at their events. Uh, Anusla had one, I remember, uh, Lawrenceville had one, and uh, it was totally separate from the BCHS, just uh, another another event they would hold, but it officially became the Horizons, and, and basically now they became Banquet and it was an organized event. Uh, when in 96 1996 and a lady named bonnie Alfred, who actually came from the motocross world uh came to our series and wanted to create these classes for our youngest of riders and that was uh and uh they started around three years old and up to 11 years old and you know like you just said you know it only took a couple of years to see the full benefit of the program i mean not all promoters i will say supported it at 100 uh all the money that was made in the horizons it was it was run by its own committee and all the money they collected for entry fees they kept so they could uh, uh, buy the kids. Every kid's got get had a, a trophy given awarded to them. And then when they made banquet, they got contentious at the banquet. So that money was totally used for that. So, you know, some promoters kind of, I think, took this stand. Well, you know, I'm not making any money off of them. So why should I care about them? Well, most of us that know. You should care about them because those kids, as you just alluded to, it wasn't but a couple of years. And then you start looking at our mini classes and our mini classes, the numbers exploded. And then they, as those kids advanced up, our bigger bike classes started exploding with numbers. So, you know, the increase in the series, what we saw uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s, I attribute right to to, to that funnel that you just said, talked about. And that's the horizon class, bringing new riders into the series and, and they come up through the through the system. And then if you're lucky enough, maybe you get a mom or a dad also, uh, feeding. Uh, but, uh, Bonnie Alfred was the one that, uh, was leading for that. Uh, the kids refer to her as Ma to give you an uh, idea of how popular she was with these guys. And I will say that, uh, you know, today our rising races are. Or as strong as ever and typically draw about 60 riders in an event. I will add to, to the credit of the VCHSS, but we have to say Bonnie Alford. Um, Virginia was the first state series that I'm aware of to create a horizon and by the way, they created the women's class that same year. So they were the first series I'm aware of uh, that had a uh, created a horizon and a women's class. You know, other states around us, I think, looked at what was happening here and,
0: and, and finally saw the advantage to doing both and I think most series now have both. Uh, but I'm proud that the VCHSS was the uh, leader in that area it was a good idea phenomenal success it took some patience it took some foresight i think the vchss has is, is definitely been rewarded by that program you know the success to tim i mean i'm going to go back to bonnie and then the people that have been the horizon committee since then you know
1: typically and this is going to be uh a, um, t- typically they've been run by women and, and you know guys us you know, I don't, I mean, you know, I have grandkids, I deal with them, but, you know, when you're operating on a, on a 4 year or five-year-old level, you know, I just think women are, do a better job of it. And I think the kids respond to them. You know, had they put me in charge of it, I'm probably a little bit too rough. You know, I wouldn't have gone over the same. I don't think it would have been as successful. So, you know, there's some people that have the patience to uh, to deal with kids uh, on a regular basis, and, uh, and that's what we needed. That's what we got.
0: Yeah, the Gary Bailey uh, PVC pipe on the fingers doesn't always it's not always <laughs> the best way to do things <laughs> I so, long guys I heard that. Yeah. yeah all right your children came through the vchss the horizon program uh, how many generations of greers do we have and i i refer to the greers as the first family of racing in virginia it's, right. we've seen some come and go through there and they're still coming how many generations do we have this year first
1: off first off you i I'm, I'm not sure even how to reply to a statement like that doesn't tell you that, uh, that that means a lot to me and thank you very much um you know currently i have two generations i have two sons george and jason that race and then i have three grandkids carter who is 20 uh odu student and uh and jason has a set of uh 10 year old twins that compete uh, caleb and logan so uh two generations currently um, but, uh, then I also have a brother, you know, Gary, that used to compete back in the day when all of us competed and he now has, now has a son, uh, Bradley, that competes in our 200A class. So yeah, the careers have been like rabbits, I guess. They're kind of like been everywhere, you
0: know, <laughs> can't get rid of them. Yeah. The kids are getting older and then they're having, everybody's getting older, but us. How does it feel to be an elder statesman in today's off-road world?
1: Whew. I'm really honored that you or anyone else actually would think that, I mean, I guess it 72 years of age that also means you consider me old um but tim you know i didn't start to be out a leader i didn't start out to be a leader this series or anything others it, ju- it just sort of happened i mean you know i was one that uh was the follower when we were cutting trails or hanging arrows you know so i wasn't posed to take on any leadership role but then you know, when we had that meeting in charlottesville and uh and rick says well how about you being the coordinator and man i didn't want to do it but i said yeah uh, nobody else raised their hand and I think you probably did the same thing as, as, as the awards person specifically remember that but you know I took it and, uh, and then I ran with it you know I've never done anything like that in my life uh,
0: when they asked I gave it everything I had for a lot of years people do not uh, and I've I've been on all sides of this people just don't I don't know it, that's not as, as appreciated as it should be because it takes a lot of time it takes a lot of effort and it is an absolutely thankless job but you you were not looking for thanks uh you were doing it because you wanted to see it succeed and uh you were dedicated to that idea and i'm old enough now myself that i certainly appreciate that well it's uh it's an honor for you to even say that
1: it really is. I, like I said, I'm not sure how to reply directly to you. You know, it just, uh, you know, we do
0: what we do, you know. For me personally, I get my satisfaction from, you know, what I've done. I know what could have done better and I'm okay with it. So if you're like me, we, we have to be happy with ourselves. Not so much as what other people think. You just have to be comfortable in your own skin. Uh, 100%. Now, let me get into something a little more controversial here. I know I have my experience. Opinion on this: Are today's riders spoiled? Are they unappreciative? Whew. And um, we, we can go a step further: Are today's promoters uh, spoiled and unappreciative? Well, let's take the riders first. And speaking for the VCHSS, um, they I think we have spoiled them
1: in the sense. And by the way, I think sometimes some of us parents do this with our own kids. Okay, I think we have spoiled them to the to the sense that we give them a lot of things. Be and and because as a series. And because some really good people that work, uh, the scenes in our awards program, we have the ability to reward these guys very well, you know? So I think, you know, when you go back to when we first started competing and you got a trophy and and maybe a can of oil, you know, now they get loaded down with, with all kinds of stuff. So, you know, you, you kind of hope they appreciate it, but on the other hand, I don't know if they realize, uh, the effort that goes into it and, uh, so yeah i think they're a little bit spoiled but hopefully if if they are it's because of what we've done (laughs) we've spoiled them just like a kid you know they're spoiled it's probably because it's what you did uh but on the flip side all you've got to do is um and you're you know you you run a series all you've got to do is look at their faces at an event you know i I enjoy watching the families having a good time I, i like the interaction and uh that just brings a whole lot of joy to me. You know, it, it kind of makes the, all the work and effort uh, worthwhile,
0: you know. When I was doing the VXCS races, a lot of times that's the only thing that really keeps you going. It's the family time during the weekend, smiling faces when it's over. Yeah. I mean, you deal with hardships, you deal with people that maybe aren't happy, but then along so somebody will come and slap you on the back and tell you a good job, and everything else just goes away, you know? Yeah. We all experience that, I think. How about the promoters? Promoters. I've been on both sides of that. I think everybody can get caught up a little bit, but I don't know. I don't even know how to answer that one. I don't know that I would classify it as spoiled, but
1: maybe sometimes you get the feeling of not appreciated as much as what you think you might deserve and i'm saying this on a on a general love level for anybody that volunteers or does a job um and and it's it's i think it's a case until you've stepped in the shoes you really don't know what that person's doing you just said a little while ago you know right or, you know they just people don't realize the effort and the time away from your family the the, the personal cost uh that you incur trying to uh, get something off the ground and to keep it going you know to, to make, it, make it successful, to make it as fun as you can, as competitive as you can for your riders. And, and you know, I think that some of the promoters are like that with the uh, with the series officers. You know, it used to be they just worried about their events and that's all they're worried about. But now they've got more involved with the officers for what they do and don't do.
0: And um, again, for, in most cases, I think it's just because they haven't stepped in their shoes and they don't realize the effort that goes into this thing. You know, it might not always be right, but it's still one heck of an effort. Like I said 40 years ago, and I still believe that no one should be allowed in a race until they have put on a race. A lot of people just don't understand the effort and time that goes into that. All right, what does off-road racing in Virginia look like five years from now? Where do you see things going? uh, I think off-road racing in Virginia has a bright future five years from now, uh, if, big
1: if, if the organizers uh, work together, if they don't get into a degree of differences to where it self-implodes, and I would apply that to any series. Uh, you know, remembering, uh, just remember that we are here for the riders and their families, um, remembering to keep it as affordable as we can to attend a motorcycle race, and, you know, remembering the grassroots from where all we all started, and I think if you do that, you'll ensure yourself, your event,
0: your series, a solid, successful future for the riders and promoters alike. You see an electric class in the VCHSS. I do. It's not quite here yet, but it's on its way. It may. It
1: was uh, discussed at this year's board meeting, and and uh, you know you see what's happening nationally. One more, more bike's come down. So yeah, I think it's it's right around the corner. I'm not sure when, but I think it's on its way. Uh,
0: I think it will be interesting to watch a quiet motorcycle race uh, ten years from now. <laughs> you know that. But, yeah, that might be that might be interesting. Uh we'll be so old by then we won't be able to hear it anyway. So we'll, <laughs> that's it, well, that's true. it'll all sound electric. Right, even the four strokes will sound quiet. That's right. Tell you what, I thought that years ago I still do noise have been used against motorcycles in general for a long time. Electric bikes will take that change yep. the scope of what we're doing looking back on 40 years of this what would you do differently knowing what you know now okay
1: that's that's not super simple question, but then this this may surprise a lot of people, okay? First off, (laughs) let me just say, we have a a lot of really good off-road clubs and single promoters in the BCHSS. And I don't mean to demean all of the single promoters, okay? But with all the personalities, differences of opinions, the different promoter expectations involved, those have led to some numerous internal conflicts over the years. I mean, most of us that are involved realize that. you know There's always conflicts, and and hopefully you're making things better uh, because of the different ideas but in the for the vchss you know it was a start as a series for the riders uh writers first promoter second so as the series has progressed to larger numbers i see more promoters thinking more of what they can get out of the series than what i did in the early years you know we just were interested in putting on a good race so with that in mind if i had to do it all over again it was part of the deciding factor which you and i were back in the uh early days uh, i think the
0: series would uh be operating smoother today and possibly even possibly even more consistently uh, consistently with
1: less conflicts if the original charter clubs charter off road clubs controlled series Uh, that scenario uh, would have allowed the charter clubs to control the rules and regulations uh easily deal with any promoters or events that did not meet our standards and then getting beyond that i like the ideas that clubs represents groups of people you know i think that would give us a smoother run series and one that remains in the best interest of the riders and uh, and their families and it's the riders and their families has always been what it's been about to me you know, I always felt you know we all have to make money it has to be successful you can't do it for free but i've always my driving force is a, a guy that's putting shingles on the house on Saturday. I want him to be able to afford to come race a motorcycle and bring his family to an event on Sunday. And that's that's my driving force. Yeah. But I'm a promoter, belong to two off-road clubs, and we have to
0: make money, I get it. You know, we have to charge funds. But um, anyways, that's that's my basic outlook. I agree with you on the club part. I think the clubs could have done a better job, maybe, through the years, looking for different places they could do events. I always thought that we we needed to kind of expand and not ride the same places over and over the flip side of that is pretty much what you're describing is if you get just individual promoters in and they kind of take over you just have something different it still takes constant work you've certainly been the rudder for this thing we you know people see that and they they certainly appreciate that uh,
1: again i appreciate your your comments it uh means a lot and uh you know, I wish you well in, in, in your continued, uh, you know, uh, work and promoting off-road riding, you know, by means of these uh, podcasts that you're doing and, uh, you know, other things that you're involved with. You know, the Yamaha uh, stuff, you know,
0: you're starting to be XCS, you know, again, doing stuff for, uh, for the sport. And uh, it's appreciated on this side of the fence, too. And I certainly appreciate that comment. That wraps up our first episode of Off-Road Rewind. I'd like to thank our guest, George Greer, for his time today and his unwavering support for off-road dirt bike racing in Virginia. I'd like to thank our listeners and ask for their patience and their support as we move forward with more episodes of Off-Road Rewind. Let us know what you think. Life is not always easy, but you can make it better. Take a friend, take your child, take your family, and go riding. Get Off-Road.